Your son, he's gone. He was weak and foolish, like his father. So I destroyed him. Hello and welcome to the Weekend Foolish Movie Podcast. I am your host, Mike Tang, and with me are... Albert Liu. Paul Sue. I've been looking forward to this episode because every cinephile loves making lists and there's no list that's more exciting to hear about than another cinephile's top 10 movies of the year. I'm excited to talk to you both uh, about your favorite movies from 2021. And to those listening to us, uh, we hope you would consider checking out the films that we talk about today, especially those that you may not have heard about. Uh, but before we begin talking about our top 10 list, uh, I kind of want to recap some of the major events and storylines in the world of movies from 2021. I think it was kind of a crazy year for movies with uh, the entire industry and all of its structures kind of being completely upended. Uh, and what I'm talking about mainly is b- because of the pandemic in 2021, we saw a lot of shifts with how movies were released to audiences. A lot of different studios experimented with how their films were released. Um, HBO Max slash Warner Brothers was probably the biggest and most controversial one, right? Uh, They released their entire 2021 slate of movies on HBO Max the same day it hit theaters without any extra cost to subscribers. And uh, we, we call this day and date release. And this is something that actually studios were wanting to experiment with long before the pandemic. And the pandemic kind of gave them an excuse to try it out, to experiment with this. And Disney threw a bunch of their movies onto Disney Plus uh, for a premium price like Black Widow and I think Cruella, while also releasing their films at the same time in theaters. And so this, you know, may have been beneficial to consumers. Uh, You know, we get to watch these movies in the comfort of our home. We don't have to leave our houses. Uh, But as we saw in 2021, this kind of more or less destroyed the box office potential for movies, uh, especially all the movies that were released on HBO Max. Uh, We saw terrible box office numbers for Warner Brothers in in the last year. Uh, But we also had a studio like Sony, which kind of stuck to an exclusive theatrical release model. Um, They released Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, they released Spider-Man No Way Home uh, in theaters, and then they actually reaped a lot of benefits from that. I don't know. Did, do you guys have any other, I guess, highlights or, or main things that you kind of reflect upon uh, for the last year in terms of movies? For me, I think the pandemic kicked this ball down this hill that's not going to stop rolling for quite some time. I think the industry is still trying to catch up in all its various aspects. The one thing that I th- I think of is I think whatever studios choose to do, they should respect the creators who make the content for them. Because I, I'm not someone who's really against streaming. I, I love movie theaters more, but I think streaming has a lot of benefits. We've seen a lot of stories that we wouldn't have uh, seen, better long form storytelling with the visual medium. Uh, more diverse storytelling, which is great too. Like highlighting stories, I don't think you know you, you would see on the big screen too much. Yeah, very true. But at the same time, I think, as you alluded to, the HBO Max uh, uh, issue with them sort of releasing other movies, they did it in a way that sort of disrespected, uh, you know, what the movie makers uh, of of those films. Uh, 
really wanted. And I, I think that's that's a bad move. And I, I, I think they've recognized that. But I think uh, likewise, you're, you're starting to see maybe a bit of the same thing with, with Disney and their sort of how they've only released Pixar movies onto Disney Plus exclusively throughout, you know, this whole pandemic. But Disney anime, animated movies have sort of, uh, uh, you know, they, they've sort of enjoyed that sort of uh, either theatrical first uh, streaming later or or simultaneous release strategy and you know you hear rumblings and and I, I i i think that's not good i think if people are gonna spend you know many years and and a lot of labor making content so you can make money you need to at least consult with them or or strategize with them or keep them in the loop when you're gonna make those types of 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 uh releases but i i think you know entertainment as we've seen is is it's a durable industry right and and i think in many ways it's it's not as important as like you know uh, a lot of other occupations out there uh in in a in a practical manner so this for lack of a better word but um i think we've we've relied on it a lot to to sort of keep our sanity and 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 to keep you know uh just to keep our heads above the water when we were in full lockdown. And, and so um, I think the fact that we have, uh, we're coming off a year with such a, uh, a great slate of movies to talk about, you know, it's a power, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it, it displays the power of, of, of cinema. And uh, I, I think that's a great thing to take away from uh, 2021. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and on that note about, you know, respecting the artists who crafted these these films, uh, Christopher Nolan, like someone who we adore on this podcast, uh, he departed Warner Brothers after so many years of making movies with them, and now he's with Universal making his next film. So you can kind of see the ripple effects of that. Although I, I don't like he's probably the biggest name in Hollywood, so he can kind of do whatever he wants. That was a nasty breakup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, for for me, I, I don't have too much to add because I feel like Albert kind of summed up a lot of it perfectly. But I do I do think that streaming has a lot of you know wonderful benefits, and I've seen you know a lot of films that I I saw that were really enjoyable, and some of my favorite movies ever came from you know streaming it on on um, like Netflix or or whatever. I don't know why I said Netflix because Netflix has a lot of trash. I should have said like <laughs> Amazon or HBO. <laughs> Hulu, um, Hulu actually has a lot of great. Oh stuff. yeah, yeah, Hulu, Hulu, yeah. But also Netflix. Occasionally they have something that's pretty good once in a while. Um, but yeah, like I think just streaming is the future. And it's funny. Just last night I was I was talking about Rush Hour with some of my friends, and we were just you know quoting like fight like a man and like all the <laughs> you know all the goat parts about rush hour but you know just reminiscing on the fact that a lot of us saw it because it was in rotation on tv all the time like tps or whatever and just thinking about how like yeah that's how the majority of us used to watch movies back in the day apart from going to the theater like it had to be on at a certain time and sometimes you'd only catch the tail end of it and be like oh yeah this is i'm gonna sit down and watch the rest of this uh, so I, I feel like, you know, even though there's a little bit of nostalgia to that, um, there is so much more power to the viewer and to the creator uh, on the streaming platform. And I feel like they can do a lot of wonderful things with it. Um, but, you know, 
just going back to whenever I see like a really good movie on streaming, like usually one of my first reactions is, man, I wish I saw this in theaters. Mm. Um, and I think as for me, like as long as there is some sort of a sustainable structure for streaming to encourage uh, more creative works or more risky projects, even um, if, if that is somehow sustainable, which, I think right now maybe there isn't, but I mean, what do I know? So I, I think as long as there is some sort of um, a platform for creators to just kind of just go wild with it and somehow get the money to do it, I'm, I'm totally fine with, you know, how things play out because, you know, it, yeah, the, the truth of the matter is most people, uh, it's not that they don't feel comfortable going to the theaters anymore because, I'm sure a certain movie we'll talk about later proved that people will go to theaters, but it's more so of interest and just knowing that they can watch it in the, in the comfort of their own homes. I think that is the biggest thing that is keeping people from theaters as opposed to like, Oh, I just don't feel safe because of COVID or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think as long as, uh, as Albert said, as creators are able to kind of do things on their own team terms, I think that's the most important part. Yeah, thanks for thanks for that, uh, Paul. And I think just to add on to what you said about, about streaming making things accessible to people, I think a, a lot at the end of the year, this happened in 2020 as well. But a lot of the prestige films were were released directly onto streaming, uh, like uh, especially Hulu. I, I mentioned Hulu earlier, but like HBO Max as well this year kind of joined in on it. Uh, but like, there's a lot of indie and international films. And, you know, art house films that were really acclaimed from the year that we, you know, you, you have to drive really far away to watch these movies. For us living in Southern California, we, we got to drive all the way to L.A. to watch them. Uh, it was really nice to actually just to have it accessible, you know, at, at home. Uh, we didn't have to make the trek out there. Uh, so uh, and I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot about those movies because like they made my top 10 because I was able to watch it. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have to like miss out on it in, in theaters because uh, it was available to us. All right. So let's get to the, uh, the juicy part, our top 10 films of 2021. All right. I first want to just have us each rotate and we're each going to talk about honorable mentions first. Uh, these are some, a few movies that we couldn't fit in our top 10 list, uh, but we still want to recommend it to whoever's listening and to each other in case we haven't seen them, All right? So I think we could first talk about our honorable mentions first, and then we'll jump into our number 10 movie of 2021. All right, so Albert, uh, do you have any honorable mentions that you want to talk about? Yeah, um, Shang-Chi kind of barely made the list for my top 10, but mm, um, that's yeah. definitely a, uh, a moment, particularly, uh, you know, for us being Asian American and just sort of coming off a, a really tough year. It was really inspiring to see a hero on the big screen that looked like us and dealt with the issues that we deal with um, every day uh, to a point. Uh, another honorable mention, Judas and the Black Messiah, I've always... Um, really, really um, been sort of um, interested in the story of Fred Hampton. And it was, it was a really, really uh, 
it's a the movie is so viscerally powerful and and the performances in there are so good and compelling uh you know almost like you can just you know when hampton's out speaking to to his followers you, you kind of feel like you're in the room um and uh i think what it says about uh you know uh how far and how far uh, that relationship between you know law enforcement and the african-american community hasn't come since he was assassinated uh is really interesting in, in light of uh recent events another honorable mention would be belfast um i know it's a little sentimental um and it tries things that feel like it's been done before but i do take it as a personal story from kenneth Branagh, and i think um this this um it, it, it's it's whole thing about how neighbors can suddenly turn against neighbors um it, and that can happen anywhere at any time is it it feels more relevant to me um the more i think about it in fact i think i you know if i had to relist it belfast would probably also be in our movie that inches close to my top 10 mm. uh, another movie from uh a uh, photographer, Jimmy Chin, and uh, I can never say his wife's name, but the Chai Versali, Zali, I forgot. I'm not saying her right, but they came out and they did free solo a couple of years ago. And they did, oh. they did this documentary called The Rescue, uh, released through National Geographic. Um, and it's about the Thai cave rescue. And it's it's incredible. Like I thought mm. they couldn't make anything that was as nerve wracking as free solo, but they got really, really close with the rescue. Um, and uh, No Time to Die. Uh, I know it's got some flaws. We've talked about that in um, uh, our podcast, but I, I think you'd, we'd be hard pressed to sort of find a character with that long of a run uh, and on the note that that character has for that character's arc. And uh, yeah. that's something that's never been done in, in you know the long history of the James Bond franchise. And another recent addition would be the Mitchells versus Machines. I think um, Sony Animation is on the right track here. They're making movies that are really, really energetic, really, really funny. And um, they don't seem to be limited to a certain art style. And they'll throw everything at the screen. And um, I really enjoyed it. Awesome, awesome, thanks. I saw most of the movies uh, that you listed, and I, I agree with with everything that you said. I didn't get a chance to check out Judas and the Black Messiah. I know that was released on HBO Max, and uh, yeah, I just I never got, got around to it. But uh, thanks, thanks for talking about it. I, I definitely want to check it out. All right, Paul, honorable mentions. All right. Uh, well, I only have one honorable mention, so. Uh, but I definitely appreciate Albert's list. I think I've only seen like half of those. So uh, I think I should probably quit this podcast because that means I'm not a true cinephile. <laughs> uh, but my my one honorable mention goes to The Last Duel. Um, I think Ooh. it is an exciting return to form for Ridley Scott, who I don't think has been this good since 2015's The Martian. Um, and for those of you who don't know like exactly what the film is about, um, it's uh, it's it's basically got like a Rashomon type structure where it, you know, it, it portrays uh, different acts from different characters perspectives and it makes for a very compelling drama. And even though you see a number of scenes like the same time, uh, there's just a little bit enough to make it different and to catch your eye. So it's a very intriguing watch. Um, and for me, I, I really enjoyed it, even if um, I feel like the biggest fault is that it you know, clearly wants you to believe one of the perspectives, but 
regardless, I think it's like classic really Scott. I feel like he's totally in his element when he makes these kinds of films. And the biggest surprise for me from this film is that Ben Affleck doesn't suck. And he's actually really awesome uh, because I, you know, for, for the friends that I talk movies with all the time, you know, I always uh, bring up the fact that I think he should just direct instead of act because he's such a good director and his acting is just so, it's just like the same for me every time. It's not that it's bad. It's just the same. But he looked like he was totally having fun in this movie, and it clearly shows. Um, Matt Damon is great as well. I mean, he has a terrible haircut in it, but he still manages to be an awesome character, uh, very compelling as well. But uh, Jodie Comer, I think, is easily the best part about the film. Um, and she, you know, manages to outshine all of these, you know, big names. You know, Adam Driver's in it too, and he's also excellent as well. Um, but I think it's just a very entertaining film. And the the duel itself in The Last Duel, I think, is one of the best theatrical experiences I've Great. seen in 2021. Like just the sound, like the visuals, everything, like all the build up to it is like, it's just fantastic. So that's my one honorable mention. Paul, I, I got to I gotta at least address this. It's just crazy because I, I really like The Last Duel, too. And you said that it was really Scott's element. But then, you know, the House of Gucci comes out the same year. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, what the hell happened? Did this guy yeah. just like throw his energy yeah. into one movie and just said, you know, screw it with the other. That's just kind of how it felt. Like, he, so. he was like, oh, I'll just let Jared Leto take care of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll let him carry this movie. Most you know? notable performance 2021 easily. <laughs> Well, originally we were going to do an episode where we talked about the two Ridley Scott movies, but then I think you guys saw House of Gucci and we're like, no, nah, no, nah, it's okay. <laughs> we would have ended up talking about Jared Leto most of the time, I think. <laughs> he should have been cast as Super Mario instead of uh, Chris Pratt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, my honorable mentions are uh, Mass. Uh, this is a film that's very self-contained. It takes place almost entirely in one room and there's just four actors and, and they're just talking the entire time. That's as much as I want to say. It's a powerful film. Yes. Uh, the performances are amazing and it's a very difficult subject matter to kind of sit through. I, I feel like I admire the film more than I enjoyed it. It's not a, an enjoyable experience, I would say. And I, I, I keep thinking it was in my top 10, but I kept thinking about it and I'm like, would I ever revisit this film? And I don't think I, I could do it just because it's so it's such a hard movie to sit through. But I do recommend everybody check it out at least once because it is it's a powerful uh, cinematic experience. Uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. Uh, that's another. Uh, it was already mentioned before, but I love this film. Like you said, Albert has such a great energy to it. Uh, it's a fun story, a creative story, and then just even how. Uh, it tells it. It's another movie that I really wish was released in theaters instead of uh, streaming. And then my third honorable mention is "Come On, Come On" with starring Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, again, great, great performances, and it's just a really intimate story about uh, someone learning, just a single man learning about what it means to be a parent. All right, let's get into it. Our top ten lists. Top 10 films of 2021. So let's start with our number 10, Albert. What is your number 10 movie of 2021? Why do I have to go first? But anyways, 
my my top my tenth movie is an incredibly biased choice. It's Luca uh, from Pixar. Oh, oh good. Um, wow, I was that you know, Paul. You were talking about how there are movies you wish you saw on the big screen. Luca is one of them. Um, I kind of oh, like sure. how it's kind of got this sort of Miyazaki esque feel for a Pixar oh. movie, which is really unusual. And I'm a sucker for coming of age stories in in Italy. I don't know why. There's just something about coming of age stories in Italy that just <laughs> I don't know. Cinematically makes sense. And uh, you know, I love the colors. I I've been to Cinque Terre, so I you know, when I was watching the movie. I was like, they did every bit of research into those towns and and um threw it uh onto onto the uh screen you know just just um you know the green um window um shades if i think that's what you call them and and just sort of like the how small the har- harbors look and how everybody in one town seems to know each other and um it, it's just a you know solid simple film about friendship too and sometimes that's all i want nice yeah, awesome. I, I really enjoyed that movie too. It was a very beautiful, beautifully animated, but also like very touching film. All right, Paul, you're number 10. Cool. Um, so my number 10 is The Lost Daughter. Um, and The Lost Daughter is uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. And it's based on a novel written by, uh, I think her name is Elena Ferrante. Um, and before I talk about the movie, I just kind of want to talk about Elena Ferrante in general, I think she's a very interesting figure uh, because she is an author, like primarily like an Italian, uh, an Italian author writes Italian you know, novels. Um, um, and apart from her editor, no one knows who her real identity is. So she's kind of like Banksy, I guess, uh, where, yeah, she's just completely anonymous. And I think that for that to be like real in, in our generation now is like, freaking crazy to me like I, I just don't understand how someone hasn't been able to like dox her or something and be like oh i know who this is but anyways <laughs> uh so she primarily writes novels about uh it's funny that albert kind of alluded to this already but like coming of age like italian <laughs> stories um so i've actually been watching a show on hbo max called my brilliant friend and it's it's literally like a coming of age series of uh uh, girls who grow up in 1950s Italy and it's a very honest and like vulnerable coming of age story um, and similar to that the lost daughter explores uh, very like very similar themes and it's about a woman who who takes a vacation to Greece and is kind of haunted by the ghosts of her past and you know the the film explores the hidden burdens of motherhood and how can break people who just aren't ready for it and you know it's it's a very it's a tough watch but i also feel like it's really uh it's really impactful to watch it from you know obviously i'm a man so i'm not able to understand the female perspective as uh not nearly as much as i think i do uh but seeing this film it really just opened my eyes and uh, olivia colvin coleman and jesse buckley both play the character of Leda, um, who's, you know, the main character in the film at, at different points of her life. And I think just seeing how it explores the, these, these themes of um, characters who, who don't have it all together in a world and a culture where they're expected to, I think is really compelling. Um, and 
you know, both Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman are really good. I think Olivia Coleman is probably gives the better performance, but I think she also has a bit more screen time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm the, I'm not really the type of person who believes that uh, men can't write female characters or that women can't write male characters. I think they totally can. As long as anyone has the insight into the human soul, they have the cap- capability to create something that's personal and relatable. But I do think that this movie, this specific perspective of motherhood is something that can only be truly fleshed out by a female director. And I think, you know, The Lost Daughter is a really strong first entry for Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, I'm excited to see what she does next. But um, yeah, this this film was very unexpected for me. I didn't really expect to to en- enjoy it as much as I did. I don't know if I'll watch it again just because of you know the subject matter, but I think it was some really a really compelling uh, film from Netflix, no less. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my number ten. Awesome that that is a movie I did not get to unfortunately. That was on my watch on my list. list. Same here, yeah. All right, my number ten is a film called Flea. It's an animated documentary from Denmark. It tells a story about a man from Afghanistan who flees his country when it plunges into civil war. And it just kind of talks about his arduous journey as a refugee and trying to find home and all the diff- difficult circumstances that he uh, gets into. It's, a, it's an insane story for people like us who live in America who don't deal with anything remotely close to that. But this is such a common story, I think, for millions of people around the world. And so I thought this film was an engrossing experience. It just told his, his story. And I'm grateful that it got to be told. This is a, a rare film that got nominated for Best Animated Film, Best Documentary, and Best International Feature. So oh, wow. It's, it's, it's a rare trifecta. Uh, so it kind of caught my attention. So I, I just wanted to check it out. And it was, it was really good. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something I want to watch sooner than later. Right, is it Albert. on Hulu? Uh, yes, it's on Hulu. Oh, okay, okay, cool. All right, Albert, you're number nine. <sighs> it's uh, in the Heights, actually. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, once again, another very biased choice. I, I, I love Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, I love his music. Uh, so to see uh, in the Heights sort of come to life in this um, vibrant and I will say beautifully directed movie from John Cho. I actually think it's his most well directed movie ever. Um, uh, and for them to sort of play around with the musical numbers, uh, they're all visually, visually stunning sequences. And uh, also another coming of age story where, where people are, are at a crossroads about what they want to do uh, with their lives and how much of their uh, identity is going to be reconciled uh, uh, with what they want to do is, is, is sort of like their story. Um, and it's it's just it's really strange. I I I find myself appreciating musicals the older I get because I, I think whereas when I was younger and I used to be sort of more enamored by like big VFX scenes, you know, choreographing a, a good number and sort of telling a story at the same time is is really really difficult. And and to sort of like bring it on the big screen and make it more interesting than on the stage, and and sort of know that right balance. Uh, of of VFX and 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 uh, actual dance numbers is um, something I it's a line I think this this uh, this uh, movie uh, walked really well. Awesome, yeah. Another 
HBO Max film that I didn't get to. Yeah, same. <laughs> Uh, I'm also not that big of a fan of musicals, but if if it made your top ten, that definitely makes me a little bit more interested in watching it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I, I told you guys in our chat that like this this year, uh, I copied one of our friends' movie watching schedules, where I, I planned out like three classic movies from different genres that I would watch every month. So this the month of March is actually musical month for me. So that's why I watched. Sound of Music and the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm starting, I, I'm not really familiar with the genre either. So, but I, but watching those films has, has made me a bit more interested. So maybe I'll get to in the Heights. Uh, yeah, those two movies are, are great. I love Umbrellas. That's, um, yeah. yeah <laughs> That's all I have yeah. to say about the music. <laughs> we don't, I don't want to say too much, but that ending still hits me when I think. Yeah, of yeah. It. Don't it's say a, anything because I, I, I won't say anything. It. Yeah, Mike, you got to see it. Yeah, so. it. yeah, it's a pretty yeah. it's a pretty strong ending for sure. Um, right. Paul, you're number nine. All right. So <clears throat> my number nine is a small independent film called Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> um, I won't speak about this entry too much because I will probably leave it to you guys to talk about it later. I'm assuming it's on your guys' list. Um, but no. this film, <laughs> <laughs> this film, I mean, regardless of how many issues I have with the MCU and, and with like how Disney makes blockbusters, I mean, at the end of the day, it's undeniably fun and entertaining and even though Tom Holland isn't my favorite Spider-Man, but I, I think he has the three most consistently good films in comparison to the others. Um, and, you know, I, I, we, we, we talked about it at length on the podcast, but, you know, I, I still share my, my concerns and, and that I'm fearful of the cultural influence this film will have on like any franchise films going forward and like how they're going to copy this film because everyone's going to want to copy this film. And, you know, for, for good reason, because this movie was made so well, it, it was made with so much love and, and care for its, its IP. And, and I think the cast of characters, I, I feel like they finally got it right this time with all of the cast of characters. Uh, so I appreciated that. And, but yeah, I mean, I always loved Spider-Man growing up. I think they've treated this franchise with a lot of love, uh, you know, since Tom Holland has been Peter Parker. And I would say it's one of the rare films in the MCU that I actually want to rewatch. Uh, because I, I typically don't really care about ever like rewatching any of their films, but that speaks to how much I enjoyed this one. I think there's plenty to go back and see and, and enjoy. Yeah, I have, I have a lot more to say about this movie, but you know, I'll save it for, <laughs> I'll, I'll save it for later. <laughs> uh, all right. My, my number nine is the power of the dog. I really oh. enjoyed the slow pacing of this film. Uh, it patiently built up its characters and then it unfolded its scenes with such uneasy tension. And you can't do that if you have, you know, typical Hollywood blockbuster style pacing. Um, the director, Jane Campion, she feels like an artist just methodically painting her story on screen. Um, and, you know, there was a part in this film where I, I actually started to wonder where it was going. And we don't truly get to the point in realizing this until actually the end. And it makes you kind of rethink uh, everything that went on in the previous scenes. It kind of recontextualizes everything. I just thought it was a beautifully made film. The performances from Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith McPhee, they're all solid. Uh, great film. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's my number nine of the year. All right. 
Albert, you're number eight. It's the power of the dog. Oh, and I, nice. and I, I, I will just say that uh, I can't add any more to what you just said. Th- th- those were all the same reasons why, why I love the movie. It's just one of those slow burns in the best way possible where you, you're kind of being led to think this is one kind of movie and it sort of pivots the right way. And yeah, and I love it for all the other reasons you just mentioned. Nice. Yep. Have you guys seen any of her other work? I no. saw the piano when I was. Oh, like, I have seen the piano. Yeah. But I was oh, that oh, may have been ten, 10 years ago when I saw it. I, I remember the score. I remember some of the performances, Holly Hunter, right? And um, yeah, I think that's the only other yeah. movie. Uh, okay. I watched it. I watched it like when I was in high school. So it's a really long time ago. But I watched it because I knew that Anna Paquin won Best Supporting Actress, and she was like the, one of the youngest people to ever win. Yeah, so I was like, I was like kind of curious because she was also rogue in x-men <laughs> so i was like oh interesting uh but I, I don't have i don't really have that many memories from that movie so definitely i i power of the dog makes me want to revisit her work mm. and and from my understanding like like she essentially came out of retirement to to make this movie because i think the last time she made a feature film was like over a decade ago uh, i could be wrong but I, I remember reading that it's been like a really long time since she made a film so it, it must have been really cool for people who are like big fans of her to like see her come out and, and make this movie. And it's like making waves in the award circuit. So, um, yeah, I, I saw the power of the dog. I, I don't like it as much as you guys, but um, I think it was a, it was a very unexpected film for Netflix to make or to produce. Um, it was very, it was definitely one of those films where even though I didn't like it that much, I was like, I kind of actually wish I saw this in theaters because it was very beautiful and uh it's always good to see um i like it when movie couples are or when real life couples are also movie couples so i'm a fan of uh kirsten dunce and jesse clemens that was cool yeah, um, just, you're right i just Paul. looked it up uh yeah it's it's been 12 years since she made a film a feature film oh wow yeah 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 and, and paul to to once again I, I totally agree once i saw the movie i was like man i wish i saw this saw this in the in the theater yeah it's just yeah, cinematography is too good for it to be on a smaller screen. Yeah. Oh, one thing I do want to ask though, how did you guys feel about Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent? Yeah. Uh, he's supposed to be in the <laughs> Midwest, you know? Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a Western shot in New Zealand too. I mean, I, just, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but it's not like our greatest Westerns were ever shot here to be sure. With, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like the first half I was like, I don't buy this accent at all. But then in the second half, I was like, I don't know what changed, but I buy it now. <laughs> I think I know what you I, I tell me if you feel the same way. I, I feel like I, I I felt the same. I started buying it when I started realizing what a repressed character oh. uh, he was. Yeah. He's got a lot hold in. So it yeah. just kind of comes out a certain way. But that's how I hmm. I took it, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. That, yeah, I think that might have been it. I do think his accent has gotten better the more American films he's done. Because uh, I remember when he first started, uh, it was like uh, like unbearable. Like you could, it's, he's like <laughs> Liam Neeson's American accent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could tell he's a British guy. But then, I don't know, by the time he got to Avengers, I'm like, geez, like he's, yeah, you can't tell that he's British anymore. So I, I do think he's improved. Yeah. And we only say that because British people are like the absolute masters right. of the yeah. American accent. Yeah. So I just assume, like at this point, I assume that anyone is that I don't know of in Hollywood is British because 
they just always have like perfect accents. There mm-hmm. are heroes now, or superheroes, <laughs> almost. So. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. All right, Paul, you're number eight. All right, uh, so my number eight is "Come On, Come On," um, nice. and uh, I actually haven't seen a lot of Mike Mills's uh, movies. I think the only other one I've seen from him is. 20th century 20th century women which i thought was kind of whatever's honestly you haven't seen beginners no but i remember you told me about that and how you really liked it so i need to check that film out um excuse me uh but yeah i think my my biggest takeaway from seeing 20th century women and come on come on is that mike mills is a man who is very in touch with his emotions uh in a good way uh and like translating that to the big screen um i think aside from being one of the best looking films of the year hands down it's also one of the most tender and heartwarming films um joaquin phoenix you know he's we've come to know him as just a complete chameleon of a performer and he can go from you know one end of the spectrum of a guy doing art house swaying in front of a bathroom mirror and clown makeup (laughs) to portraying this very sweet and thoughtful man who you know finds purpose uh, in life by going on a road trip with his nephew, which is what this film is about. And this film just does uh, a lot of things well that I've never expected. Like it's a rare exception and somehow being able to make LA traffic look beautiful. And, <laughs> um, and apart from that, I mean, the, the, the film is scattered with these interviews with kids about, you know, the future, what scares them, what they look forward to. Um, and, to this day, I'm actually not sure if those interviews were scripted or not, but I'm pretty sure they weren't. I, I felt like they all felt really genuine and, and really honest. Uh, but if those were scripted, whoever wrote that is like amazing. Um, I, I actually looked it up. It was not scripted. He was actually interviewing oh, okay. the kids. But then I, I was like, okay, so when he's interviewing the kids, I mean, don't they look at him? They're like, hey, aren't you the joker aren't you the yeah. joker and that that, that <laughs> yeah. literally was brought up in in like the interview and they said that he had to kind of steer the conversation back to <laughs> like their views on life and he's like oh we can talk about that later but what about your views on life <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like yeah i want to see you in a sequel <laughs> fighting robert pattinson <laughs> um but yeah uh i mean so i mean we all know that joaquin phoenix is great but woody norman who plays the young boy accompanying uh joaquin phoenix is also really good and of course he's british if you guys didn't know but he's i mean <sighs> he's like an amazing like you know a really good kid for performance and um i i think it's honestly pretty hard for child actors to tread the line between being like insufferable and like to like a kid that feels like manufactured uh and like not a genuine character so but i feel like he treads the line like really well um, but yeah, was, there's just like a very beautiful film. I, I really appreciate the the resurgence of black and white films. Uh, like this past yes. year, we had The Tragedy of Macbeth, we had Belfast, uh, and we have Come On, Come On. And I think it's just a very special medium that uh, deserves a bit more attention nowadays. Um, so, you know, this was a really, really excellent experience to watch in theaters. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a... Uh... Yeah, it's, it's a great film. Mike Mills, uh, if you haven't seen his movies, check them out, especially uh, Beginners. Uh, that's, a, that's a really special film. All right. Let's, uh, oh, my, my number eight is Lamb. This is a, <laughs> oh, dude. This is a film from Iceland <laughs> uh, by uh, Valdemir Johansson. This is weird. <laughs> oh, my God. It, it is ominous. 
and it's just beautifully made. Uh, the sweeping landscape shots of Iceland, it really transported me back to that amazing country. And I thought the mood, the tone of the film really captured the feeling that I had when I visited Iceland uh, years ago. Kind of like The Power of the Dog, this is another great example of the film just showing us a lot, but not really telling us. Except this is a really weird and twisted version of that. I don't want to say too much about it, but we're left to interpret and really dissect what the film shows us. And there's, just, like I said, there's just a lot of weird stuff going on that we can unpack. And I think this could be, Lamb could be a huge turnoff for a lot of people because of its weirdness. So I get that. But if you do like weird, unsettling films, uh, this is definitely one to check out. Dude, for sure. I, I hope one day you're able to convince someone to watch it and they have no idea what it's about. Like you don't even right. tell them that it, it, it's weird. Just tell them, oh yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. It's it's fun. Hey, you, then, you like Iceland, right? This movie yeah. takes place in Iceland. <laughs> yeah. I, I sometimes, you know, I was talking about Luca earlier, but sometimes I kind of wonder of traveling to a place uh, outside of where we live, kind of like it might. How do I explain it? Like it enhances that movie for us in some way, right? I mean, of course, mm -hmm. we can't help it, but sometimes I, I feel like that can happen. So. Yeah, for sure. I think it's kind of like becoming a, a parent and just being a parent to children. Like movies have taken on like a new meaning for me personally after becoming a parent. Uh, I, I Like I think of one movie uh, like Place Behind the Pines. Like I watched, I love that movie before I had kids. But then after having kids, it completely changes the meaning of that film. And after watching it again, I, like, I love it even more. And I think the same goes for like traveling and actually going physically to a place and, and just the, the smells of that area, you know, and the yeah. sounds and yeah, just the you people. Got yeah. I, I, I personally, I, I, I'm a sucker for movies that take place in Hawaii. I, I just like love every movie in Hawaii. Oh, hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Albert, your number seven film. It'd be Dune. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Um, for no other reason than what we go to watch things on the big screen for yes sir it's, yes. it's do i think there's something very unique about the story taken if you take it out of the context of when it came out and its influence on our science fiction uh, movies but is there something unique among so many fancy stories we have right now i don't think it's that much particularly unique but i think it's 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 got you know very rich background folklore all that but it's just it's just a total immersion of sound and, and sight. That is the showcase um, for that type of experience, that movie. Yeah, man. I, yeah, it's a, I think it came at a really good time too, when uh, I think the movies weren't doing that well in theaters. And then it was like kind of like a shot in the arm. Um, all right. And I have more to say about it, obviously, but uh, I'll save that for later. Uh, Paul, your number seven. All right. Uh, my number seven is The French Dispatch. Um, so I actually thought that this movie was just okay the first time I watched it. And I watched it with Mike uh, because, for one, I'm not generally a fan of anthology films, which is, you know, just like a series of short stories. Um, and two, I absolutely knew nothing about the subject matter, which is about. You know, journalism and like newspapers uh but I, I do love wes anderson and i do love you know the worlds that he he creates in his head uh, he's just such a 
such a unique and quirky person. Um, I kind of liken his, not his style, but just like his, his uniqueness to like Hayao Miyazaki. I just feel like when you watch a Wes Anderson movie, you know that you're going to watch something that like is rarely emulated by anyone else. And it just kind of whisks you away into like this world that like only they are capable of making. Um, and uh, yeah, I think when I watched it the first time, it was just, it was, it was very difficult because I think it's hands down his best looking movie that he's made so far, but it also has like the most insane amount of dialogue spoken very quickly. So it was hard for me to take away like what's happening in this film. And also these visuals are amazing. So I think so watching it a second time with subtitles, being able to finally like process all of the information, like there are a couple of times where I had to pause it and like rewind a little bit. I was like, okay, what did he just say? Um, but yeah, I think through that, I was able to enjoy it way more. Uh, I, I was able to kind of just, just be fed like all this beautiful, like this visual flair from, from Wes Anderson that we we've come to know and love. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely got better on rewatch and I think it's, for me, I think it's a rewatchable Wes Anderson film more so than some of his other films. Um, and naturally because it is a Wes Anderson film and has one of the craziest casts ever. Uh, so I remember like, you know, the first time you watch it, you know, me and Mike were just like sitting there and we're, we're kind of like, Whoa, this person's in the movie. What the freak? And it's just like, you know, throughout the entire film. Um, and it actually makes me want to quote unquote, no trailers, his next movie's cast list which I think is really hard for us because we talk about movies like all the time and share like headlines with each other. But I, I hopefully can go into his next movie, not knowing a single person that's starring in it, because I feel like that would be really fun because I'm sure he's going to have like an insane cast. But uh, yeah, I, I think just the visual aesthetic of, of how this movie is played out kind of like reading a newspaper, but, you know, watching a newspaper in a sense, I thought was very creative and I thought it was really fun. Yeah, I really liked French Dispatch also. And then I, I agree with you. It, it was hard to follow at some points because there's just so many words. The output of words is just insane. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I definitely want to revisit it again with subtitles. I think that would help a lot with the experience. Yeah, time, guys, I only started watching it. I haven't finished it. I haven't <laughs> oh, got me on. No. I'll finish it. I would love to talk. talk yeah, to it's on HBO Max, I yeah, think. So. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, speaking of HBO Max, this movie thankfully was placed on HBO Max. Uh, my number seven is Drive My Car. Oh, uh, this is a yes. film from Japan by uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi. It is a three-hour-long meditation on tragedy and loss and the role that art plays in the self-mending process. And it's just I love how gentle this film approached this really heavy subject matter, and it just patiently navigates scene by scene how the main character processes grief but not overtly you know it's it doesn't in such subtle ways i just feel like it's it's very japanese in that sense um i did watch this movie in seven different settings it, i kind of treated <laughs> it like it was like a tv show almost <laughs> it, it's hard to have a three-hour block you know um in in the schedule uh but you know so i really want to actually go back and revisit again i'm sure if i did i think i would appreciate it even more so uh, and, and, you know, to be honest, like, I'm grateful that it was on HBO Max so I could watch it. But at the same time, this is another reason why I hate streaming, because it allows 
the audience to do this to a movie. And, and for me, yeah. like, I'm like a purist, right? I, I, I don't like doing it, but I just can't block out three hours of my life, especially when it's a movie that's available at home. So I really wish I caught this in theaters, but unfortunately it was never playing near me. It was always playing in LA or someplace like super far. Um, yeah. So I, I'm sure like the power of the movie was some of it was a little bit diluted by my viewing experience. Yeah. Yeah. I am surprised that it didn't hit theaters for us because we, we generally get all of those types of films too. So you, there's nothing you could do, man. Yeah. <clears throat> well, oh, well, uh, I, at least we have this, right? It's better than not being able to see it. For sure. Yeah. All right, Albert, you're number six. Movie six is West Side. Oh, six is West Side Story for me. Oh, yeah. The I second musical. It's another musical. Um, obviously, uh, you know, um, one that had a lot to live up to, even if the director like Steven Spielberg at the helm. But I think sometimes it's it's because maybe he's not at his song, you know, so-called peak anymore. It's easy for us to take Steven Spielberg for granted. If you look at like uh, West Side Story, it's, um, it's some of the shots there are just magical. I, I don't know how to explain it. They're, they're the type of shots that if any other director did it, never be remembered for the, that one shot and in west side story there's so many of them and i think that's always been the case of a lot of spielberg movies of recent years i just think like i said we've we've sort of taken him for granted uh you know it also helps that this is sort of a story that remains very relevant uh today uh and and uh while uh the old one was problematic in the context of time uh i thought they did a really really terrific terrific job sort of updating it um uh and uh yeah it's just gorgeous i i i just i really do think it's one of spielberg's better movies uh, uh in the last 10 years or so have you uh have you seen the original do you prefer it over the original i no that's so difficult you can't get the scenes out of the original from your head you, that mm. automatic comparison is always going to be made but there are certain things that i think are done way better in this version like the musical number for america is 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 vibrant it's colorful it's 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 um extremely well filmed um but um yeah i mean this is based on a a uh, a play and you know i i think the one thing about you know musicals on the stage is that they're they're made to be um, to change over time because every time you throw in a new actor or a new director who's trying to do the play, um, things are going to change. Right, you're not going to see it exactly the same way, and um, I kind of like how that movie uh, sort of continued uh, the tradition, but sort of through cinema. Nice. This is a movie I started watching. Uh, I didn't get to finish it in time for this podcast. So, yeah, I haven't seen it either. <laughs> yeah. But I think since I since I wasn't able to finish it, I think it, it sounds like it's worth going back and watching the original first, and then watching the new one, just to be able to compare. All right, uh, Paul, your number six. Okay, my number six is Licorice Pizza. Oh, um, nice. so you know, I think Paul Thomas Anderson films are definitely an acquired taste because of their subject matter and, and just, you know, the kinds of stories that they tell. But I feel like Licorice Pizza is his most fun and accessible movie that he's made. 
it's got very similar vibes to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Dazed and Confused, Everybody Wants Some. Uh, it's just a fun piece of Americana for you know California in the 70s, specifically, I think, San Fernando Valley. And I think the two leads, Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim, are both stars in the making, especially for Alana. Uh, I can definitely see her pursuing a career in acting full time if she wanted to. But, you know, of course, she's in the band with her uh, her two sisters. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they were both fantastic in it. Um, I, I just really enjoyed the whimsical nature of the film and how it makes you reminiscent of the time in your childhood where you could just kind of do whatever you wanted uh, without caring. Uh you know, granted, I was in opening like multiple businesses as a teenager, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but it did bring me back to, you know, like the vibes of summer vacations, hanging out with friends. And it was just a really well-made hangout movie that is very funny at times. Awesome. Awesome. Albert, did you ever get a chance to check this out? No, I haven't. But it's also on my watch list. I'm sorry, guys. I just keep getting distracted by like movies. Like I was telling Mike earlier, I saw The Lost City <laughs> just today. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen like most of the movies on your list. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. My number six is The Worst Person in the World. Uh, uh, this, is a, this is a film from Norway by writer director Joachim Treyer. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, but this is about a young woman who's going through a difficult transitional phase in her life it's about the relationships that she has during this period of time uh, the film is so funny it's so creative and how it expresses the angst and being stuck and uh, not where you want to be and, and not knowing where you're going i felt like the performances by the two lead actors they're just extremely charming and likable it really makes me want to revisit uh, the other films of uh, the director's filmography about life in norway Norway just looks like such a great place to, to visit. This is kind of like another round from, from last year, which it made mm. me really want to go visit uh, Copenhagen in Denmark. Uh, so yeah, great film. So much fun. Uh, I, I can't wait to watch it again and show it to my wife. Nice. All right. Next up is uh, Albert's number five. Ooh, now we're in the, our top five. Uh, five would be drive my car for me. So oh. I, I did get a chance to see it in theaters and I was completely, for lack of a better word, hypnotized by the entire movie and, and, and by uh, what Mike, you know, very well described as a sort of a meditation on grief. It's sort of like a bit of a demented up. I don't know if demented is the right word, but <laughs> there is a, there is clearly like this whole prologue that sort of talks about the main character and his, you know, relationship with his wife at the time that uh you know isn't obviously up but it's almost like a self-contained movie in itself and you're so drawn into it by it and i hope i'm not ruining this for anyone but when the credits start rolling at what was it like opening so for, credits yeah the opening yeah. credits on the 40th 40 minute, minutes in mark i was like holy moly we're just getting started and um i, I think uh the you know, other than having a great cast that you're sort of just, you know, you're sort of drawn into each of their journeys um, as well. Uh, I think it was appropriately set in Hiroshima uh, because Hiroshima itself is, is a cool town, but it's also a, a city that uh, experienced the rebirth uh, after the atomic bombings. And I think um, it always holds that part within Japanese culture um, as a symbol. Um, so, um, you know, it was it was 
it was just a very touching movie and and also very poetic you know the way things just kind of were able to start at one point and sort of come back full circle um and you know i I wish i could talk more about it particularly its ending but um yeah and how it relates to our times but yeah maybe that's something we could get back to um near the end of this yeah there's so much to talk about in that movie Mm -hmm. and i've never seen any of uh use case hamaguchi's other movies but it it does make me intrigued to watch some of his his other stuff i want to mention uh the worst person in the world and drive my car are two movies from 2021 that have covid (laughs) as a part of its uh story uh, which i thought was really interesting yeah because uh you don't see a lot of what like american films i don't i don't know if i haven't seen any that have covid as a part of its story i mean you're right i mean i know there's a comedy in netflix that talks about a film crew and it's like getting locked down while they're trying to make a movie but you're right there's not many movies that are set during covid but i think it's it's an interesting um choice to sort of include you know covid as being a part of, of the time of those stories because um yeah, you know, I think for many of us, you know, this period of time is also a time of transformation. So maybe that's why they're both in there. So I, I think there's uh, well, there's Kimmy from Steven Soderbergh, where the movie oh, takes place. I'm trying to forget during about COVID. that. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, I, I didn't get a chance to see it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, but I just know that it takes place like it like does. during the pandemic. And I think right. there, I think when the pandemic like sort of was first beginning to happen, I think there was like an Anne Hathaway rom-com about oh which she would tell uh elliot for yeah yeah, yeah but it's uh called but, like lot lockdown or something yeah yeah but those are movies like about covid but yeah. i i think what you're saying is like there because the worst person in the world and drive my car are just like movies where they're like well there's nothing we can do about this so we're just gonna have covid in in our movie now yeah. it's like it has nothing to do with the pandemic itself but there's just scenes where you're like oh yeah. like everyone's wearing masks yeah. so they're just they're just like us they went through it just like us yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good point all right paul you're number five okay so my number five is dune um nice so so we've talked a lot during our podcast about you know how this was an insanely ambitious film to make and so i won't reiterate too much but I definitely think that out of all of the films I saw in 2021, this this film had the most potential or to go wrong, like the most to lose. Uh, so, you know, luckily they put it in the hands of Big Dennis because, <laughs> dude, that man is like on an absolute streak, like starting with Arrival and, and Blade Runner 2049 and, and now this. And and thankfully, you know, thank, thank the gods we're going to get part two you know to dune uh because i remember it wasn't until like the day the movie came out that they were like okay we've green greenlit part two because no actually they, they waited i think a week after the opening weekend or something oh okay okay yeah it yeah, was so, just like so we're just like oh my gosh what's gonna happen yeah that's right oh yeah 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 i think yeah i think you're right because when we did the podcast i i don't think we were sure if there was going to be a part two so you know yeah thank goodness that there's going to be a, a follow-up sequel um, but yeah, I mean, I hope that Denis Villeneuve doesn't get tired of making sci-fi movies because I feel like he is the guy right now. Like, uh, you know, I love Chris Nolan; He's my favorite director of all time. Um, but I think he likes doing things that he like wants to do in that crazy head of his. And it's not always going to be sci-fi. But I, I think 
if you were to entrust like all future like insanely hard to adapt sci-fi properties to one man it should be should be big dinas man so uh i mean the film has you know some of the best visual world building it has incredible production value and it's it's just so hard to put all these difficult ideas onto the movie screen i mean this movie just has so much going for it i mean han zimmer's score is is crazy immersive um timothy chalamet speaks perfect mandarin uh <laughs> it, it's just amazing dude uh but yeah i mean i feel like we can we can all just breathe a sigh of relief knowing that he's working on the second one and that he's able to fulfill his vision uh, for this book uh, because I think there's like talk of a third film, which will go over the contents of the second book. So, so we'll see. I mean, the reason this film isn't higher is because it's clearly a part one, but I'm very excited to see the rest of it. Uh, one thing I want to add to, to that is that, you know, when I was a kid and I always like looked at the science fiction book, section of you know Barnes and Noble or something like that you'd always see like a cover of a small spaceship or small person and then something really big in space right I feel like Dune is you know that movie where every frame captures that feeling of like looking at a cover you know that sort of sense of wonderment and scale and uh, yeah yeah. for sure yep I yeah I I love I love this film too I agree with everything you guys are saying um my number five is Tick, Tick, Boom. I don't usually like musicals. I think I mentioned oh. this already. But the story for this film just really resonated with me a lot. It's about the, the dream of making it big, working your butt off with a passion project. But then that ultimately goes nowhere. You're never guaranteed a hit. And so uh, that really spoke to me. Um, I was really entranced by... Andrew Garfield's performance. I was shocked that, you know, he put his heart in, I mean, that he was, he trained him. Uh, he, he took singing lessons in preparation for it for a year. And so I, I felt like this performance, he really put his heart and soul into it. And to me, he's the best actor of 2021. Mm. And I, I thought the songs themselves were very catchy. And I find myself actually returning to the soundtrack often uh, replaying it over and over on Spotify. Uh, so yeah, loved Tick, Tick, Boom. This, this film has the most theater kid energy I've ever seen in any movie, uh, but I haven't seen a lot of musicals. So <laughs> the, the funniest review I saw on Letterboxd about this was, uh, I'm so glad uh, theater kids got their Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw so, that one. So got true. Likes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. Albert, you're number four. Uh, worst person in the world. Oh, nice. Man. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I, it, Beautifully said, Norway, but I feel like it's the story that could be told of any millennial, any any in any city in the world. This sort of feeling of of not quite knowing what you were meant to do, or trying to find meaning in trying a bunch of different things, and and thinking you can be unique. But sometimes there are just those um, hard events in life that sort of get you to sort of slow down, put things in perspective. And I, I thought that movie embodied all of that while doing it in one of the most, you know, creatively, uh, visually creative uh, ways. Every every 10 minutes we were some, seeing something like different or new or fresh. Um, it probably has my favorite um, film sequence of the year too. Um, oh yeah. Uh, and 
uh, kudos to the people of Oslo for for getting involved in that and and making that scene happen. Um, uh, it, it, it it's really nice to see you know when films become a true community effort, and uh, yeah, well acted as well. Um, definitely spoke to me being um, where I am, and um, yeah, uh, there's nothing but good things to say about that one. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen the rest of or the other two of the Oslo trilogy films from Joachim Trier. Have you guys seen any of them? Nope. No, but uh, yeah, watching this movie makes you want to check them out. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, So my number four is Drive My Car. Uh, so I've, I've never read the, the works of Haruki Murakami and, you know, we talked about earlier, I haven't seen any other movies from Ryusuke Hamaguchi, but I heard that, you know, Murakami's books are like really incredible. Um, and I think drive my car is just a fantastic and emotionally complex film that I thought about for a long time after I watched it. Um, you know, I watched it with our friend, John and, and we were just talking about it for a long time afterwards. And there's just a lot to think about. Um, I, I think, I think movies for movies, there's such a delicate art of, of showing and not telling when it comes to movies. Um, so, I mean, just to bring back the power of the dog, I feel like it's very competently made, but I, for me personally, I felt like it, it showed too little. Uh, so someone who I guess is more clueless like me, I was like, you know, what's, what's going on here. Uh, but I, I feel like with drive my car, you know, there's, there's so much dialogue. It's three hours long and that's all they do. That's all they do. They, they talk. But the most interesting thing about the film is what isn't said, uh, what's implied. And I just feel like the film is so rich in its subtext. Um, and it, it made me think about how people cope with, with grief, with regret, and how people reconcile it as they try to move on with their lives and with their careers. And I just thought it was an affecting, uh, affectingly introspective film that you know, really got me questioning a lot of things. And, um, and just as a piece of like s- cinema, I feel like that car is like <laughs> so sexy that like, that is the, one of the coolest cars I've ever seen in a movie. Um, and it made me want to be a better driver, but uh, I still suck at driving. So <laughs> it, it, uh, I was joking with Alice when we saw the movie that the red car is that red. So when you see it drive on the free among all the cars, you can, you know, easily spot yeah. it. But um, there's one thing I forgot that uh, listening to you, Paul, uh, reminded me of, about the movie that I forgot to mention, which is I, I, I love this sort of um, uh, sort of sub theme it has about the universality, ver- universality of, of emotion, right? No matter mm-hmm. what your language is, because the main character is also trying to put up a Russian play with people speaking different languages and they're yeah. all trying to have to work um, with each other. So the movie is really about communication and all its, all its forms. And uh, that's also something I really liked about Drive My Car. Yeah, I didn't even know that like plays like that existed where people would just speak in their native language and then the subtitles would appear on the screen. Like I thought it was just like a something for the movie, but then, you know, apparently that's like a real thing, but it really, it really kind of enhanced like the themes of, of the overall film. Yeah. Drive my car. It, uh, it made all three of our lists. So um, if you're listening to this, you got to check it out. Uh, Cause that's, it's, it, it met the trifecta of this podcast. All right. My number four is Coda. Uh, mm. This film looks and feels like it was made for the Disney channel. 
<laughs> it's yeah. it's very Hollywood cookie cutter type formula, but man, the performances are so good. The storytelling just immerses us in the world of this deaf family, and it makes us uh, and it makes it all work so effectively. Uh, it's a film that has so many touching moments. It moved my wife and I to tears. It's deeply heartfelt. And I, I just, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's such a great film. And uh, it, I feel like it, last year we got, we had Sound of Metal, which was also about the deaf community. And so I'm glad we got another one that kind of pushed it a little bit further with just long extended scenes of just like American Sign Language, you know, and then we're just kind of uh, reading the subtitles of what they're, what they're communicating with each other. And I think it kind of showed us unique perspectives because the, you know, the actors in this film are deaf. Uh, so it gave us a, a unique insight into their life and what, what it's like to, to just have, an, uh, you know, parents who are deaf and then uh, an older sibling who's deaf. Uh, and there's something about sign language too, just watching so uh, Sound of Metal and Coda and even Drive My Car, there's, there's, uh, there's sign language in that, in that film, but just... I think the rhythm of how they sign and then the, the impact that they make with their hands, it's just, I feel like there's so much emotion in that. Uh, and so I, I have a feeling, you know, we're just going to see way more uh, performances like that. Really feels like Apple TV is sort of coming onto its own this last year, by the way. Yeah. Coda totally. and then Telasso. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for basically for the same, uh, for the reasons I said in the beginning, like the reason it's not on my list is because I feel like I watched it like 20 years ago on Disney Channel. <laughs> but, but at the same time, like I completely agree with you. It's like so, it's so well made. The, I think it hits all the notes that everyone like wants to see and feel right now. So it's, uh, it, it was definitely like, especially the ending, I was like, all right, I, I get it. I get why people like this movie. <laughs> all right here we go top three these are the th our three best movies of the year all right albert you're number three it's tick tick boom oh, <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> uh, there's the, i don't know what to add that to what you've already said about mike other than you know it's a it's a wonderful directorial debut and very impressive directorial debut from the manuel miranda and uh, and um, Andrew Garfield delivers one of the most heartfelt performances I've seen this entire year. It's not just a great performance. It's a great performance where you know he put a lot of heart and a lot of energy yeah. into it and you feel it. And, 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 and by, expense, uh, by extension, you, you, you feel his characters, Jonathan Larson's um, uh, 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 love of his craft and how badly he wanted to make it before the age of 30. And we, we've all had that where... You know, when we're younger, we, we kind of, you know, we have these 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 sort of goalposts and 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 we have to live with not being able to to get through them uh, sometimes, you know, during the time we want to or at all. And um, I, I think the fact that you kind of, you know, if you go into this movie knowing about what happened to Larson, the, the weight of what's going on with his life at this point. Um, feels a little heavier and it was also the kind of movie where I was very impressed by its creativity uh, its its vibrancy uh, I think I felt sad when I should have felt sad I laughed when I should have laughed so it kind of sort of ticked all those no pun ticked all those boxes off of, of kind of why I just want from, from an enjoyable movie uh, and moving movie going experience well, not Netflix experience I guess in this case so 
yeah the uh the just the opening song just entranced me and just pulled me in i'm like wow i'm i'm on board like and, and that rarely happens for me with mus- musicals yeah same here so i think this is the only musical that all three of us have seen uh so well, which uh songs did you guys like the most or which one was your favorite i like mm. the opening i liked um bohemia bohemia, bohemia rhapsody yeah oh, not bohemia rhapsody um I'm trying to remember what exactly what it's called it, but it's about it's about bohemia like oh i think i know yeah Bohemian living or something yeah like that was that. a good song yeah, yeah. He, he sings it acapella and that's like it's so catchy um yeah. yeah i don't know i was you know it's also been one of those movies where it's like hamilton for me where you know my wife and i started listening it listening to it uh in the car so <laughs> it's like it, it, once you do that it's kind of hard to say oh, okay I, you know, I like this song the best or or something like that but because uh, there's probably at least three songs in there that i kind of like equally yeah. so oh it's called boho days boho days 30 oh. yeah and okay. uh yeah i forgot what the other one was called the the more the one where he's imagining his talking to his is uh his girlfriend or hearing her sing to him oh, oh that that was my favorite song yeah i can't remember what it's called i was saying it's like it's yeah. like flew out of my head but yeah, super good, good song yeah yeah well performed think, oh too. therapy is another really good one. Oh, therapy is pretty good yeah, it's so much yeah. fun yeah it's yeah. just it's such a yeah it's, it's awesome it's such a great film nice all right paul you're number three okay my number three is pig um oh. and yeah so this film stood out to me because uh most of the films in my top 10 came out probably within the last two months of 2021 so for most of the year i was like this is the worst year for movies like i feel like i haven't seen anything amazing and pig was the one movie that i saw very early in the year and i, I just thought it was really special um i know you guys had the podcast on it and i think joe was the highest on it and the you two were kind of like kind of like you know on the fence with the film but i, I think for me it was it was just a, a really a really magical film that um you know i, I really just love the anti-revenge revenge nature of it and i thought it was nicholas cage's best work in a long time you know i think a lot of directors cast Nicolas Cage in their movie so he can act completely unhinged, you know, oh, do the thing that you're good at, you know, but, but let's not forget, man, this dude is an Oscar award-winning actor. And I, I feel like I was like spiritually blessed by his performance and by the themes of this film, because, you know, it's, it's a, both a very sad and optimistic look at forgiving our enemies. And I think the film uses a man who has been broken by the world to build people up and to encourage his enemies, which is just something that you don't see in movies ever really. Um, and I think the film does a wonderful job of fleshing out the world that it seeks to create in a kind of like how John Wick does it, you know, where they, they use everyone in the world other than John Wick to talk to you about John Wick and the kind of character that he is. Um, I feel like the the movie does that to perfection in this movie too, because you find out a lot about um, Nicolas Cage's character uh, through the eyes of uh, his peers and, and just people that he's met along the way. Um, and, you know, without going into spoilers of the film, I feel like, I think the, the movie utilizes one of the world's most universal love languages as a vehicle for forgiveness. And I think it is the film that, you know, most 
that, that I want people to see this year. Like I know we've been talking about like, you know, you know, examples like Coda where it's like, people just need to see this positivity in, in 2021. And uh, I think pig is that film for me. Uh, I think it just went in a direction that I totally did not expect it to go. I just found myself really refreshed by the film and, you know, the director of the movie, uh, Michael Sarnowski, he, I, I checked earlier today. He barely, <clears throat> excuse me. He barely has a wiki page. Um, and he, I guess he's just relatively new uh, on the scene, but, you know, for this to be his first effort, I'm, I'm extremely impressed and I hope and, and, and want to see more from him in the future. So. Yeah, I think a uh, pig was an example of where not watching the trailer kind of backfired on me. I think I, I mentioned this <laughs> uh, on the podcast. Yeah. But I, I just, I had no idea what this movie was. I, when, when it first started, I thought it was post-apocalyptic and then it just kept, you find Port- out more and more. Portland about is post-apocalyptic now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think this is another movie I need to revisit and I, I was meaning to revisit it before we did the podcast, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, so I definitely want to try it again. Uh, now knowing what it is just to, just to rewatch it and see if I can appreciate it better. My number three is Dune. Uh, oh, nice. I can't add any more to what you guys said. It's just an amazing immersive experience. It takes its time in building a vast, sci-fi world game of thrones type stakes the uh the production design the costumes and makeup the sound the visual effects it's it's a technical marvel and this was a film that was tragically put on hbo max day and date and um i think so many people missed out by watching it at home by watching it on their iphones or their ipads (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's just it's not the same uh i think big d man that guy is on a hot streak yeah. I think that when they announced that he was doing this film, we all knew it was going to be good, right? Because uh, he had he has tons of street cred as as like a director, as, a, as especially as a sci-fi director. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's one of the most exciting filmmakers in the last ten years, along with Christopher Nolan. So, yeah, I can't wait for part two of this. And I've actually I, I've refrained from buying it because I know that they're probably going to release some kind of like crazy steelbook. Of oh, good point. Film. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Albert, you're number two. Oh, I can't. I, I've been waiting to say this to you, Mike, for a while. But my number two is Evangelion on three plus one. Right? Oh, oh, wow. Wow. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely love the movie. Thought it was worth the 10 year wait. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And I wasn't even a big fan of the franchise growing up. I think it was so different than any mecha anime that I was used to. And I think that was the point. That was more of a psychological series than it was um, a mecha anime series. I, I think I was too young to understand that until I got older. And I think what I like about the movie is it's 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 I I know I know how all your feelings are about it, Mike, but I think it's a it's a um, <laughs> it's a great ending to the entire franchise, and you know not just the rebuild series uh, because I think it takes the entire franchise into account. And um, I, I think I started understanding the series more once I looked at as, you know, director Hideki Anno's sort of ongoing battle with depression and self-doubt and sort of being cast in the spotlight. And I think the conclusion that he reached 
in this movie that's also reflected in its ending to deal with it how he how he what his answer was to depression and self-doubt was you know it was a really really moving one because i and, and it really hit me because I, i've i've had my bouts of dealing with depression from time to time and um i think the answer that he had was the correct one for himself and i i think also for a lot of people as well i i don't, I don't know how much i should get into the ending but um you know if you're familiar with the series you know um you know to people listening you know the main protagonist of the series is is this kid called shinji who who kind of goes through a bunch of things and 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 his his not really your uh typical hero who wants to answer the call to action in fact he he runs away from it quite a bit um and uh yeah i i just you know i also think it's wonderfully animated i feel like i was seeing something that was started you know, 30, about almost 30 years ago, come to a close and, and, and come to a close in probably the most refreshing way they could have done it. At. So nice. I know, I know it's very controversial and I understand why it's a very meta movie, but it's not, you know, I, I want to tell people it's not matrix meta bad. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I think it's a good kind of uh, meta. So yeah, well, I, I'm, I knew you, I knew you liked the movie, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't know this would be number two. Yeah, it's um, number two. <laughs> But you know me, animated movies tend to go very high on my end yeah. of year list. You know, like I, last year was was uh, Wolf Walkers, I think was my favorite. Oh, movie. okay, okay, so, yeah, um, yeah. I got to talk to you about uh, about it because I did not come away with the same feeling at all. Like, I oh, actually, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, you said you weren't a fan of Evangelion uh, when you were younger. But and but I'm like the inverse of that. I'm I was like a huge Evangelion fan. I loved End of Evangelion, and so this was just completely. It went in a completely different direction, and yeah, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't like it as much. I'm happy for him that he's kind of like had had this self mending experience, uh, and he's kind of communicated that through his art. I'm just as a fan, I just didn't like it. So. It's a it's a very strange type of series that's very very tied in with uh, its creator, probably more so than a lot of you know mm -hmm. I think movies or yeah. cartoons or TV series out there. Well, I, I definitely want to know more about your take on it. Um, I know you're trying to avoid spoilers, so maybe yeah. we, can, we can we talk about it. Yeah, no, time. it sounds good. Yeah, is it? Isn't it also one of Letterboxd's like top rated movies of 2021? Surprisingly, I looked it up. You're right. Yeah, so so I yeah. feel like it's not too controversial for you to like it. I feel like Mike's the the one in the mic. You're the liar, Mike. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. it's just the people who hate it are not on Letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably don't know what it is. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I I watched Evangelion when I was a kid too, and I just remember, I mean, I wasn't, I was pretty young, so I was fascinated with like the mecha aspect and not so much like the 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 themes of the of the show. But I, I haven't watched anime in a really long time. But I think when both of you guys posted about it, I was kind of like, oh, like maybe I should revisit it. But then I I looked at all the different movies and the like the show and like maybe there's like a reboot of the show and i was just like i don't know where to start with this like like what's the canonical viewing so so maybe yeah. you can tell me afterwards albert because yeah I, sure. I might want to delve back into it but i just had no idea like what should i disregard what should i you know you know what should i see as like the creator's intent so yeah i wasn't completely sure but 
I mean, t- t- for me watching it, it was just they were yelling gibberish for like two hours. <laughs> but they, they've always been yelling gibberish. For- yeah, but at least like. <laughs> but this was like a new gibberish that wasn't really like, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't rooted in anything because the movies leading up to it. I, I just didn't feel like the setup was very interesting. It was just so I don't know. Um, it. There's a whole theory about that, by the way, but we'll, we'll talk about. It. Yeah, There's yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. theory about what all these how these series connect. I, yeah. I felt like made sense to me, but yeah. Mm. All right, Paul, your number two. All right, my number two is Mass. Uh, I know that oh, was nice. an honorable mention for Mike. Um, I mean, I, I don't have a lot to say about this movie, similar to what Mike was saying, other than it's just absolute emotional beatdown. Uh, and, you know, without spoiling anything, I, I'd say it's better to just, you know, go into this film not knowing much other than it's about two couples who have been linked together in a very unfortunate tragedy. And they're just talking and reconciling and just, you know, talking it out. Um, I, I think the Academy Awards, you know, really did this film dirty by not showing it any love. But at the same time, it's also possible because maybe just no one saw it because I, I didn't know about this movie at all. Until, you know, Chris Stuckman, uh, a YouTuber that we all love who reviews movies and is now a director, he, he listed it as his favorite film of the year. So that was how I, I found out about the movie and I watched it. And I think personally, if I were to give like the like the Oscar for like best actor, best actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, I feel like all four of them should just come from this movie. Um, I wow. think everyone in this movie is like so incredibly good like it it honestly like watching it i was just like this isn't a movie like this is just being a fly on the wall and like a really intense like therapy session basically Mm -hmm. and i think that the director this is also his first film you know a lot of movies on on our lists come from uh, specifically my list I, i think comes from people who this was like their first movie um but yeah like this this was his first movie that he directed. He, he acted in, you know, previous films, um, Fran Kranz. I think he was in like Cabin in the Woods or something. But uh, I mean, I, I think the fact that he didn't get a nomination for, for best screenplay is criminal. Like, I think some screenwriters in the industry will never write anything as good as this. Uh, and I think, you know, s- similar to what Mike was saying, like, you know, will I watch this movie again? I, I don't know. Maybe, but it, it's not something that you're going to, crave to like see one day because it, it is very uh taxing emotionally but i think it, it if the idea of it doesn't completely put you off then i would challenge anyone who is curious to see this movie because it's just you know some of the most powerful stuff i've ever seen i, I saw the trailer for the movie because uh, uh because uh, of you two and uh, and that's definitely on my watch list but i, I also feel like i have to be ready you know put myself in the particular mind yeah <laughs> yeah so for sure all right my number two film of 2021 is licorice pizza uh this film feels like a scrapbook of random events from a specific specific time period in uh two young people's lives it's i think paul you mentioned it was kind of like you know snippets from a summer break or something and that's what exactly what it feels like it's it's hilarious from beginning to end the two lead actors, Alana Haim, Cooper Hoffman, they're so charming and likable. And there are some memorable performances from the supporting actors in the movie. 
The biggest highlight being Bradley Cooper, and we've talked about his scenes at length on this podcast. I still think about those scenes and just laugh to myself. <laughs> this is one of my favorite P.T. Anderson movies. I love P.T. Anderson. I, I've enjoyed everything he's made, and this is definitely up there. Uh, probably top three P.T. Anderson movie for me. All right. All right, boys. Here we, here are. we are. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Number one. All right. Albert, what is your favorite movie from it's 2021? Spider-Man. Spider no <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's definitely not the deepest movie, uh, but we've had a whole podcast about it. it. It's it's just pure fun. And and I felt like if we had any doubt about whether we can go into a theater and hear people scream and share. Um, all at the same time, like we were prior to COVID, this movie was like, put your doubts to rest. It's back. You know, mm -hmm. th this, this, this sort of mass movie going experience hasn't died because of, because of the pandemic. Um, and that was, that was just great to be a part of. Um, I saw it two days, I think after everyone else did two or three days and, and, all the crowds were, it still felt like a day one crowd was with me. So that means it was really packing people into the theaters to see what it was about. There are some movies that are just movies. There's some movies that are pure cinema and there are some movies that are just experiences. And th that was Spider-Man, No Way Home. And it's a character that we also all grew up with. And I think, uh, I don't think there's maybe any better film other than Spider-Man 2 that sort of embodies what being Spider-Man is all about. And um, yeah, I saw a second time not too long ago and I thought, well, will my, how, will how I feel about the movie be any different now that I don't have, you know, cheering crowds with me. Right. It wasn't still enjoyed it the same way. So kudos to Sony and Disney and everybody who got involved for making this awesome blockbuster during the most, and, and, you know, kudos to everybody film that came out this year that had their production upended by by uh covid uh it it, it, it you know they were everybody rose to the occasion and 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 i think spider-man no way home is definitely one of those movies all right paul your favorite movie of 2021 i'm so curious it's, it's spider-man for the second time on my <laughs> list it's <laughs> just kidding no i that's why i'm glad i left it to albert to talk about it uh my 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 favorite movie of 2021 is the worst person in the world i knew it i knew it um <laughs> yeah i i think this will probably be the first and the last time that my favorite film of the year goes to a romantic comedy uh but who knows i mean but yeah i mean wow this this film for me was perfectly timed perfectly relatable for me you know being in my early 30s and you know for for people who don't really know too much about the film it's a norwegian film and it's kind of been touted as like a romantic comedy for people who hate romantic comedies uh and you know i, I don't necessarily hate rom-coms but i don't really gravitate towards the genre but uh i, I think this film is really special i mean it centers around uh yuli uh played by renata reinsve and how she wrestles with the issues of commitment and her ambitions to make something of herself. Like the film uh, early on establishes that she is a very gifted person. She can do whatever she wants if she just puts like a small percentage of her mind to it. But the problem is she doesn't know what she wants. Um, and she kind of finds herself through 
you know, the men that she has relationships with, uh, specifically like two relationships where the, the men are quite polar opposites in personality, but I feel like they re- reflect a part of her character and innermost desires. So, you know, I, like we said before, I haven't seen any of Joachim Trier's other films, but I feel like the character that, of Yuli that he's created so perfectly kind of encapsulates a lot of the 30-year-old crises that I'm going through. <laughs> and even though, even though I don't sleep around with different men trying to find the answer to my life's problems, <laughs> I still feel like, you know, there's so much of myself that I see in this film, for better or for worse. I think it's it's just a really magical experience. And seeing it, you know, I saw it with Mike in, in the theaters and just seeing that film green and just like all those beautiful shots of Oslo, I think it was just so... Uh, yeah, yeah, such a magical experience. And I, I think even though I said earlier that the best performances of the year goes to the entire cast of Mass, I think my favorite performance goes to Renata Reinsweig. And uh, the main male lead, Anders Lee, I think uh, his name is, he, he's really g- great too. He's also um, a practicing doctor. I found yeah, which yeah. is crazy. That, that is yeah. so crazy that like you could like see him for a doctor's appointment and, and be like, I saw you in this movie. But uh <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, similar to The Lost Daughter, um, I'm very fascinated with characters who just don't have it all together, but they're trying to better themselves amidst all their shortcomings. Um, And what this film does so well is that, you know, even even though Yuli goes through like a complete range of emotions uh, in a character where a lot of times if you saw it in a movie, you feel like it seemed really unrealistic. But, you know, a lot of it just felt really relatable and grounded and it just speaks to how indecisive the human nature can be. Um, but yeah, I mean, this may be a spoiler, but Julie or Yuli is not the worst person in the world, uh, but it's a very beautiful and intimate look at how oftentimes I feel like we think we're the worst person in the world. Uh, but yeah, it was a really wonderful film and it makes me want to visit Oslo for sure. There's um, there's two scenes that I'm um, just listening to you talk, Paul, that uh, you, you made me... Um, recall and I, I think they may be two of my favorite scenes this entire year and one of them is right in the beginning where Yuli is sort of like walking down the street and it's it, the sun is setting oh and yes, yes. yeah such a great up. shot and it's yeah. like man how many oh. times have we when we're trying to figure out what we want next we've sort of done the same thing yeah and 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 you know another scene is when uh, what, her uh, her boyfriend who's a cartoonist sees his work being completely disney uh, disney fight into a cartoon <laughs> this being into an being an animation fan I just yeah. laughed my ass off super hard when i saw that one <laughs> yeah for sure yeah, love that movie. Um, love that movie. Uh, highly recommended. It. It's it's on all three of our lists, so that tells you something. All right, my number one film is Spider Man No Way Home. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> uh, okay, so like Avengers Endgame. Okay, this is another huge blockbuster film that uh, kind of felt short for me in some areas. I think there are some choices that this movie makes uh, with where it takes its story that I didn't really buy into. And to be honest, while I was watching it for the first time in the theater, I was actually getting kind of lost in it uh, in a bad way. I think this is the entire middle section of the film and it nearly tanked the movie for me, but like Avengers Endgame, it does so much more right in delivering big emotions. And it gives us something that we've never seen before. Uh, It's a tribute to 20 years, regenerations of Spider-Man movies that rewards 
all the fans with, you know, the fan service that feels, you know, it's not just empty fan service, right? It's purposeful. It's emotionally powerful. I think people were crying in the theaters. People were cheering and laughing. Uh, This movie made me scream and lose my voice along with hundreds of other people in the theater uh, at the same time. Uh, It's a movie that I keep thinking about and revisiting in my head. I just keep shaking my head in disbelief that we actually got something like this. And I'm just absolutely in love with this movie, despite its flaws. Uh, I I can't fault the movie for just, you know, it just gave us so much joy, you know, at the end of 2021 during Christmas too. So uh, yeah, my favorite movie of uh, 2021. All right. And I kind of want to recap our list. Actually, I've been taking notes. Uh, and so these are the movies that made it to at least two of our uh, two of our lists. All right. So we got Spider-Man, No Way Home. This is on all three of our lists. Power of the Dog was in two of our lists. Dune, all three of our lists. Uh, Licorice Pizza, uh, Drive My Car, Tick, Tick, Boom, and Worst Person in the World. So if you want like a summary of what to watch, these are the our most, uh, this, these are the ones that we all like really agree on and the, that we all collectively love uh, as, a, as a podcast group. All right. So uh, that kind of just wraps it up for us uh, with this episode. A- any other closing thoughts before we end the episode? I hope uh, 2022 is just as good, if not better. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. 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 Well, we got. We got more multiverse stuff coming, so we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) One of them uh, not being from a comic book movie. One of them being the Michelle Yeoh A24 movie, which is... Yes. uh, I I don't know much about it other than it's a multiverse movie. (laughs) And the the comments, the the tweets and the reactions coming out of that movie is like unreal, uh, the stuff that people are saying. So I I don't want to get myself hyped up. Uh, I do for me, (laughs) (laughs) but like they're saying things like, you know, once every generation you get a movie like this, not since the matrix, have we seen something so original and bold? So I think if all this stuff is true, if it ends up, these people aren't just being hype machines. uh, I think, I think 2022 is going to be really special. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Weekend Foolish Movie Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our top 10 list. We hope that you will check out some of these movies that you uh, may not have seen already. Most of them are available now on streaming, some kind of streaming platform. See you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. We're not done yet. No. The Supreme Leader is wise. I'm sure you are. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky!